I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the air And you could have it all My empire of dirt Upon my liar's chair Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all
a little, little bit about me, I guess. Uh, so I grew up on a ranch in Idaho, 400-acre ranch, um, and um, then uh, went to school at BYU and took a job in Utah Valley. So I'm basically an Idahoan transplanted into Utah, and I've been active in politics as long as I can remember. And uh, it really is uh, a lot of fun to uh, to share the things that uh, I'm learning about our, our country's history, uh, about the Constitution, about the importance of adhering to the Constitution, and, and so forth, as I... Uh, as I continue with uh, these radio shows and I learn a lot from every single radio show I do. And I hope that you won't be uh, afraid to, to call in and ask questions from time to time. What I want to do today is to give you a taste of what um, I do on my radio show Tuesday mornings from nine to 10 on K talk media. Our shows are, are archived at soundcloud.com slash K talk media. Uh, my show is entitled path to state and local sovereignty. When I talk about state sovereignty, I'm really talking about the sovereignty of the people domiciled in that state, right? Because in reality, our rights come from our creator, and then we delegate uh, some of those rights to government, um, empowering them to do what we would otherwise do, um, but we just employ them to, to do that, which is really to secure our liberty, our property, and our, our you know, uh, uh, right to life, liberty, and property. Uh, that's the proper role of government, and that's the proper role that each one of us has if we're acting in our capacity as a sovereign, <clears throat> right? In defense, uh, do we, can, we, we uh, have the inalienable right to defend our lives, our liberty, and our property. <clears throat> so those are the, that's the authority that we delegate to our government. And uh, whenever government exceeds that authority, whenever they go beyond uh, that authority, then we have a right, not only a right, but a duty to uh, curtail the reach and size of that government. And we find ourselves in a situation today very much, um, very much um, in the grip of of a of a of government run amok, uh, right? A tyrannical government run amok, and so the purpose of of my Tuesday morning show is to help to restore the sovereignty of the states, meaning the people, restore the sovereignty of the people domiciled in the several states. And why is that important? Well, as I've already mentioned, it's because the size and the reach of the general government far exceeds the authority vested in it by the states. Remember, it's the states who created the general government, not the other way around. Uh, Therefore, the general government has only the authority vested in it by the states. Well, you and I both know it's not about to bridle its own power. It's going to expand its power as, as, as much as it possibly can. Um, and it's only kept in check by the states, by the state and local authorities. That's the way to bridle the power and the authority of the general government. Because uh, the, the folks in Washington, D.C., they're not going to bridle themselves. Uh, the answer is not found in Washington, D.C., folks, as I, as, I hope you, as I hope you know. The answer is found in state and local authority. 
states have a sacred duty to erect barriers against the encroachment upon our liberties by the general government. And you, my fellow citizens, you and I have an obligation to stiffen the backbone of our state, county, and municipal public servants against the tyranny of the general government. So here is my plea. My plea is this. Ignore the unlawful actions of the general government. In other words, nullify any legislative act of Congress, any executive order of the president, any judicial opinion of a federal judge, and any bureaucratic regulation of the general government that exceeds the bounds of that sacred compact, the Constitution for the United States. So really, folks, I'm all about federalism. That's really what federalism is. It's the sovereignty of the states who are bound together by a compact, a constitutional compact, where we states have agreed to grant to or vest in a general government very specific, enumerated, limited powers. It's not nationalism. I'm not a fan of nationalism because nationalism really is a, is a, is a top-down, you know, government in Washington, D.C. that rules over everybody and everything. That's nationalism. And, but that's not what we have. That's not what we were given. That's not what the founders and the framers put together. That's not what the ratifiers ratified when they, put, when, when they gave the U.S. Constitution legal force. When they ratified that U.S. Constitution, they fully understood that they were ratifying a federal system where the states are sovereign and the general government just carries out a few duties that were vested in it by the states. And if I were to name those two things, uh, those, those, those few duties, basically it was two things, commerce and defense. That's basically the essence of the U.S. Constitution. That's the essence of the general government. In it, as understood by the ratifiers, as understood by those who gave the U.S. Constitution legal force. Now, one thing I like to remind ourselves of is that the United States are, <clears throat> plural, right, plural, the United States are. We need to get out of the habit of saying that the U.S. is, because the United States are not one entity. We are not one nation, as much as we think we are, be having recited the Pledge of Allegiance all for 12, 13 years as school children. We are not one nation. We are a federal compact. We're a federation. We're a confederation. That's what we are, as understood by the framers, the founders, and the ratifiers of the U.S. Constitution. So we need to get in the habit of saying the United States are, not that the United States is. I think if we can, if you take just one thing away from today's radio show, remember that that the United States are the United States uh, are are a collection of states bound together by a compact, a constitutional compact, a confederation of states where we agreed to vest in that general government two things: commerce, you know, uh, commerce and defense, and and we and. If we would do that, then we would enjoy the prosperity and the peace um, that the, the, the earlier generations 
of people living in this in this country uh, enjoyed, and we would not be under such a a tyrannical boot that in which we find ourselves today. Okay, so that's a little bit about my show. Um, you know, the the, the 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 principles that I like to talk about on, on, on my Tuesday show, and which you're you're welcome to to join me on that show. Uh, it's on the internet. You can get you can catch it uh, ktalkmedia.com and listen on the internet, no matter where you're located. And then you can also find those shows at soundcloud.com/ktalkmedia, which is where those shows are archived. Now. This is generally a very interactive show, and if you want to join the conversation, <clears throat> talk to me, um, then you're welcome to, to, to phone, to, to make the call, and, uh, and to join me here on the path to state and local sovereignty. <clears throat> now, Thomas Jefferson called the Tenth Amendment the foundation of the Constitution. The foundation of the Constitution, because he had the correct understanding of the Constitution, and one of their biggest failures conservatives have today is that we do not understand the foundation, the underlying principles of the Constitution. We fail to recognize, we fail to remember that the states are sovereign in this constellation, in this constitutional compact, and that's clearly laid out in the Tenth Amendment. So when Thomas Jefferson called the Tenth Amendment the foundation of the Constitution, he has a proper understanding of that Constitution and and the state's role and the, the role of the general government in that uh, governmental constellation. <clears throat> now, I want to talk a little bit about Federalist Number 46 <clears throat> because we, what we have is a general government whose size and reach is far beyond the constitutional boundaries set forth by those who ratified the Constitution. <clears throat> and so the question then is, well, what do we do about it? Well, the earlier, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, let's just call them the first generation in our country, they, they dealt with this very same question because in the, the term of uh, John Adams' term as president of the uh, of the country, <clears throat> the Congress passed the Alien and Sedition Acts. There was like three or four uh, individual acts, which taken together are known as the Alien and Sedition Acts. And um, <clears throat> Thomas Jefferson responded to this, as did James Madison. <clears throat> they responded with the principles of 98. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Kentucky Resolution of, of, of uh, 1798, and uh, James Madison wrote the Virginia Resolves of 1798, and together those are known as the Principles of 98. <clears throat> and they describe there what we ought to be doing whenever the general government uh, runs uh, outside of its proper bound, you know, the U.S. Constitution. Whenever its size and reach exceeds the, the proper bounds of the Constitution, they described what we ought to do. <clears throat> now, um, uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through the, the, the Kentucky Resolution or the Virginia Resolution. 
uh, today, but I'm going to instead talk about Federalist number 46, because James Madison therein uh, summarized the essence of the principles of 98. <clears throat> and he said, there are four things that ought to happen uh, or could happen whenever the general government runs amok, when they run afoul of their um, of their warrant, meaning the U.S. Constitution, whenever they begin coloring outside the lines, then there should be, number one, a disquietude of the people. Now, you'll, re you'll recognize the fact that, you know, James Madison, when he wrote, Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote, they used words and phrases that might sound a little foreign to us in this modern day. But they express so clearly the... Um, the sentiment that they harbored uh, in in uh, uh, in those days. So when he said disquietude of the people, he's talking about the people get upset. He's saying that the people they're they're concerned with the action of the general government, and they're so concerned they might get angry, they might uh, have a rally, they might have a protest. Um, you know, January sixth was a disquietude of the people. There were people from all over the, the, the country, from numerous states, probably all 50 states, who met on January 6th to express their desire, their sincere desire, that the 2020 election be, um, be verified, right? Uh, and, and if it wasn't uh, done properly, then it, it needed to be corrected. I mean, that's what they were there for. And so that's a, it's a prime example of disquietude of the people. Um, <clears throat> in your hometown, for example, if the city council passes an ordinance with which you disagree, um, then you get your neighbors together, you talk about it, and um, you, you then, um, uh, this is disquietude. Right. This is talking about uh, the concern you have with the city ordinance, and and uh, that's properly known as disquietude of the people. That's one of the four things that uh, uh, James Madison put in Federalist Number Forty Six. That's the very first thing he mentioned in Federalist Number Forty Six. Um. Just um, writing a little message to a friend because it's important. Okay, um, the second thing that James Madison mentioned on in, in Federalist Number Forty Six is a refusal to cooperate with officers of the Union. And what this means is that uh, officers of the Union meant officers or agents of the general government who were sent out to enforce this unconstitutional mandate, whether it was a, a, an order of the president or a, a congressional act uh, or an opinion of a judge or whatever. Um, you simply refuse to cooperate with them. <clears throat> and uh, so... We will, um, uh, what's a good example of this? Refusal to cooperate with officers of the Union. 
Well, uh, cannabis is, uh, no, that's, that's a legislative device, refusal to cooperate. Um, this would be like the, uh, the truckers <clears throat> um, who traveled across Canada to express their disapproval of the tyranny, the COVID uh, tyranny and the lockdowns and so forth there in, in Canada. Uh, <clears throat> they were told to, to leave and they refused to cooperate. They, they didn't leave. And so that is, is an example of a, a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. And as it turns out, um, if the states do not cooperate with the officers of the general government, then it's very unlikely that the edict emanating from Washington, D.C. will ever be uh, cooperated with because, you know, there's there's just too many of us and there's only a few officers of the union for example the BATF has what 5,000 agents and and you look at all of the the uh, uh, all of the, the people throughout the country that um, in in and in, in, you know millions of people it's it's if they refuse to cooperate with those 5,000 agents then they are not going to have any cooperation um, and so that's the second thing that uh, James Madison expressed in Federalist Number 46. The third thing he mentioned was what he called frowns of the executive magistracy. Uh, pretty, you know, highfalutin words, right? Frowns of the executive magistracy. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant frowns of the 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 governors of the states. The executive magistracy to which he referred uh, really meant the state governors, you know, the, the, the officers of the states, you know, the, the governor and the, the deputy governor, uh, whoever was running things in the state. And we call it frowns. By frowns, he meant the, the, the um, you know, if, if your governor spoke out against this this uh, overextension of authority by the general government, that would be, you know, the frown of the executive magistrate. Now, the, the, the prime example I can think of in this case is, um, you know, in uh, South Dakota, the mayor, I'm sorry, the governor of South Dakota, Christy Noem, um, and also uh, the governor of Florida, um, <clears throat> Ron DeSantis, who refused to, to shut down uh, their states, uh, just because, um, you know, Fauci wanted everything shut down. Well, uh, Christy Noem never did shut down, and she definitely expressed her her frown <laughs> of, of this mandate. And, of course, Ron DeSantis shut down Florida for, uh, I think it was a month, maybe, maybe six weeks, and then he opened back up. Maybe it was two months, I don't remember exactly, but he opened back up. And and expressed his disapproval of the the COVID tyranny lockdowns. That is a perfect example of the frowns of executive magistracy. The third point that James uh, James Madison put into Federalist Number Forty Six. The fourth thing that he mentions there are legislative devices, meaning um, uh, meaning. Uh, resolutions and, and laws and acts and so forth passed by the legislatures of the several states. 
a legislative device. With, and a perfect example here is the cannabis legislation um, in uh, at least 34 of our states. Uh, at, this was at se several months ago when I last looked. There were 34 states in the union who had legalized cannabis within the borders of their states. Despite the federal prohibition on the use of cannabis. So you have this federal prohibition on one hand, and then you have a state that passes a law legalizing the use of cannabis within their borders. You have this conflict. This is a legislative device that nullifies the act of Congress or the edict coming out of the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, or in some cases you might have an executive order of the president or you might have the judicial opinion of some federal judge. <clears throat> well, a legislative device that nullifies that edict is perfectly appropriate. <clears throat> That's what states not only have a right to do, but they have a duty to do. Um, <clears throat> so those, again, are the four ways in which we, as a people, should be erecting the barriers against the general government whenever they exceed their lawful power, whenever they color outside the lines, whenever they exceed the bounds of our Constitution, then we should respond in one or all of these four ways. Dis and I'll just summarize them again. Disquietude of the people, number one. Number two, a Number two, a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. Number three, frowns of the executive magistrate, meaning uh, the uh, governor of the state speaks out against it. And number four, legislative devices. That is the proper response to, um, to, to a general government whose acts of tyranny go outside the, their, their constitutional bounds. Now, notice what uh, James Madison did not put in Federalist Number 46. He did not put, vote, vote the bums out, right? There would be a lot of people telling you, well, just hold your horses and vote them out at the next election. Do you see any mention of voting the bums out in Federalist number 46? No. The answer, is, the answer is no. He did not say in Federalist number 46, vote the bums out. They did not write this into the Kentucky Resolves of 1798. They did not write, and James Madison did not write this into the Virginia Resolves of 1798. Nowhere in there do you find any mention of voting the bums out. Now, that is a good long-term solution, absolutely. And we should be involved in voting the bums out whenever we possibly can, absolutely. But when it comes to where the rubber meets the road, you simply got to refuse to cooperate. <clears throat> That's what James Madison said. You got to talk about it. You got to be upset about it. You got to be angry about it. <clears throat> That's what James Madison said. And, um, and, 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 
and and, and we need governors uh, talking about it, and uh, we need uh, legislatures with the with the courage to uh, to write resolutions and acts and and uh, and uh, and so forth to nullify those unconstitutional acts coming out of Washington D.C. Now, I understand we have a break coming up, and uh, so we will we'll break for a moment and and be right back with you here on the uh, on the on, on the real broadcasting network. Okay, well. Um, <clears throat> oh, okay. Okay. Well, I, I knew that I couldn't hear the music earlier, so um, you just uh, tell me when to quit talking, and I'll quit talking. <laughs> Very good. Okay, that was my producer <clears throat> just letting me know <clears throat> that he will, that I've got a few more seconds here before the break, and uh, just to keep talking, and he'll let me know when, when uh, the break occurs. That is perfectly fine. Here we are. Hey, I heard the music. <laughs> okay. Well, very good. We'll be right back after this short break, ladies and gentlemen. Stay with us. truth you're listening to republic broadcasting network real news real talk real people because you can handle the truth here at republic broadcasting network we have been building our online store well we have been focusing on bringing you the best talk show host in the country here at republic broadcasting network we also want our listeners to have products they can use every day and in times of emergency. We have added new products each week to our store. Your support of this network, plus products at the best prices, is a win-win situation. Check out our new store. Go to our website, republicbroadcasting.org, and click on the online store located at the top of our website. Together, we can continue to grow RBN and help our listeners prepare for the future. Go to republicbroadcasting.org and click on our online store or call us. 800-724-2719, extension 3. 800-724-2719, extension 3. Extendivite really works. Just listen to what some people have to say. Several years ago, I was developing a very uh, severe situation. I called it my flippy heart. It would just was doing not good things, and I did not want to go to a medical doctor because uh, I just knew they would give me a cover-up pill. I didn't want to get onto that sort of thing at all. When I learned it was garlic and cayenne, and cayenne is a healer. It is a wonderful herb. I said, I think I'm onto something here. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be without it. It did wonderful things for me. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply of either capsules or liquid. Call now. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. 
there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop and lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop and lift? Our ease-off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the ease-off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease-off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Easeoff, LLC, 417-932-6419. The preacher man says it's the end of time And the Mississippi River, she's a gold well, dry Thank you Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen uh, My name is Lowell Nelson I'm filling in for John Twitchell this afternoon Thank you for joining us here on Republic Broadcasting Network We've been talking about federalism And how important it is that uh, people, the sovereigns living in each state That's you guys <laughs> the sovereigns living in each state um, stand up and uh, be counted. We talked about Federalist Number 46, the four principles that James Madison described in there as the proper response to um, any unconstitutional acts of our um, general government. And um, I'm, I'm happy to take your calls and your questions. Um, at, at this point, we'd love to have you join the conversation and uh, clarify things for me. Um, teach me something new, ask me a question, and uh, or whatever. So, Dan, in Virginia, go ahead, please. Uh, I was just commenting on the uh, energy weapons that you were talking about. Uh, they're like in uh, Farscape, and that program is 24 years old, but it's um, it's better than the original Star Trek. Yeah. I just thought okay. you'd be interested in that. Yes, well, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate your call, uh, uh, Dan, and thank you. Um, don't know that that's really related to our topic today, but uh, um, I, the only thing I, that comes to my mind is that I've heard that uh, the fires uh, on Maui may have been started with these energy weapons. So right. um, I'm very much interested to, to, to knowing if that's true or not. Uh, and, you know, just how advanced our, our, the technology is today that would uh, facilitate an energy weapon of that magnitude. But uh, anyway, appreciate your, your calling in. All and, right. Uh, Thank well, you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. <clears throat> um, okay. Well, um, they – oh, okay. So before the break, I was just talking about Federalist Number 46, and I what I said was that what you don't find in Federalist Number 46 as uh, a response to federal overreach, you don't find the, the recommendation that we vote, out, vote the bums out. Okay, There's another thing that you don't find in Federalist Number 46, and that is sue them in court. You know, take them to court. <laughs> take them to court. Yeah, right. 
Well, you don't find that in Federalist Number 46. You don't find that in the Virginia Resolves. You don't find that in the Kentucky Resolves, because that is not, it's nonsensical, really, when you, when you think about it. Uh, because if, if, the, if the federal courts are the ones who get to decide whether or not the federal government, uh, the actions of the federal government are constitutional or not, 90% of the time, they're going to say, yep, yep, what they did was, was constitutional, right? You can't have the, the very government that's supposed to be limited deciding the extent of their own authority. It just makes no sense. And so to underscore this point, I'm, I want to turn to an article that I, I read by Michael Bolden at the Tenth Amendment Center. That's TenthAmendmentCenter.com. It's a great website, and I encourage any any and all of you who are truly interested in uh, state and local sovereignty to visit this site regularly, 10thAmendmentCenter.com, uh, because it has great information, and I often draw on this information when I'm preparing my shows, uh, my Tuesday morning shows. So it's, it's, it's well worth your time. Now, Michael Bolden, and so just to give you a taste of, of an article that was posted there online, um, I want to talk about um, uh, th this article, uh, uh, you know, to you know, give you a taste of, 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 of what is there at 10thAmendmentCenter.com, and um, then to, um, um, because it talks about this unlimited federal supremacy idea, but before I jump into this article, we have Mike uh, on the phone with us. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining us here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. What's on your mind? Well, unfortunately, we have become into this age of deep fakes now, and I'm not sure exactly how we're going to know what was done in Maui, uh, except I would say that it's not hard to go back and look at the uh, the drought was reported on, and there was another uh, big patch of fires that blew smoke all over that the uh, area there around the, the southwest side of uh, uh, Maui, and uh, covered that entire. I don't know if you'd call it a harbor or a bay in 2019, and uh -huh. so. The way that slope worked, and it, there was a high pressure off to the north, and high pressure is very low humidity mostly, most of the time. And you often have a, uh, a fairly low dew point as well. So the, uh, the way the slope of that mountain works, and of course it's a former volcano, I don't know what it, maybe 8,500 feet. When the air comes across that ridge line and drops down, it causes the humidity to fall out of the air, and it continues on down that slope about 10 miles. By the time it gets to the sea, it is like super dry. And I, you can just look at the videos from the day before uh, the fires got so bad, and the trees are standing straight out, the palm trees, and there's all kind of debris in the streets, dry foliage and stuff like that, so... Any little spark from the transformers or the, you know, 65-mile-an-hour winds knocking the lines together, causing an arc or a spark, and you've got sparks. Plus, you've got 
situations where you can have piles of stuff that compost and catch on fire in the sunshine. I've seen hay bales uh, start to smolder and catch on fire. They get darn hot in the middle of it, like an old square hay bale or even the big round bales of hay. So if you throw some sunshine and wind in that mix, it's like a Boy Scout blowing on some steel wool, you know. Yeah. You don't have to have, you don't need directed energy weapons to to get that type of a fire going, or firestorm. So, yeah, I mean, it, even if you've got videos of flashing, you know, which might be transformers exploding in the smoke, mm. uh, I don't know how we can say definitively it's evidence of directed energy weapons. I'm not saying directed energy weapons don't exist. I, I just don't think it's required to do what was done there. Excellent the streets, point, Mike. The streets are in that town were running east to west, and they actually acted like fire breaks. There's also an aqueduct, a big concrete aqueduct with a little bit of water in the bottom of it, acted like a fire break between the industrial area and the residential area. Hmm. So, I mean, there's there's some plausible explanations. I've seen what looks like a photoshopped video of a single house isolated or like a not not a video a pic still picture I'm, I'm still looking for uh, a picture maybe video of a single house sitting there with houses burned all around it on the uh, edge of the sea and uh it looks like it's photoshopped huh. well, yeah so it's like there's people that are pushing a distracting narrative and of course the global warming crap is just that these type yeah. of extended droughts happen uh, we and we only have 140 years of uh, you know National Weather Service official records back to 1871 or something. Yeah. So there's not enough really to say that we are actually suffering climate change. They're they're not very scientific about it. All it's political, you know. Yeah, you're so, exactly right, Mike. Uh, it well, definitely is political. Uh, they're climate yeah. change folks. They're, they're, pushing, they're pushing an economic agenda too. The carbon credit exchange and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Yep. Uh, and uh, I think it's because the U.S. government has monetized debt to the point where the only solutions they have is to put up collateral or expand the economy. And okay. uh, with the, the the Treaty of Paris or what? Uh, what is that? The Accord. Global warming accord, or whatever they're calling that, yeah, the Paris Accord. That uh, that stuff has kind of constricted the ability to expand the economy in a normal way, and so they have to keep selling treasury notes to expand the debt and expand the spending spree uh, due to inflation. And the International Monetary Fund is no longer going to lo- loan people since 1987. They're not going to loan governments money. Unless you put up collateral, so that just you know, Clinton got blamed for a lot of the expansion of of uh, monuments and heritage rivers initiatives and all that sort of stuff. But I think Nixon kind of started that, <laughs> you know. So it, uh, Mitch McConnell and Hal Rogers, in the last few years, tried to propose making the rugged hills of Eastern Kentucky into a, a wildlands area uh, to promote tourism. I knew immediately what that was about. They were trying to use it as collateral for another loan from the International Monetary Fund so the spending spree could continue. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's what's going on in in Maui. They're trying to expand the the wildlife refuges and forest preserves. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate your, uh, your perspective, right. Mike. Um, I'll let yeah. you go. And right, uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you again for your, your call and your common sense approach. I appreciate that. Now let's go next to, uh, and it was Mike from Kentucky calling. Thank you again, Mike. Let's go to Scott in Arizona. Go ahead, Scott. Hi. Yeah. Um, well, the federal government jurisdiction is outside of the ebb and flow of the tide anyway. You know, it's not within the states. Say that again. The ebb and flow of the government is outside of what? The ebb and flow of the tide. Oh, the tide. You mean the ocean the tide? The ocean tide. It's outside. Yeah, not yeah. Not within. Right? And then the Civil War, the, the Northeast captured the South and the West. So now we're under these occupi- occupied laws right now. Huh. And that's, what, that's kind of what Adams was trying to do with those resolutions, right? Yeah. Was expand the federal jurisdiction. Yeah, you know, what exactly. Was it? Right. Jefferson wrote the the resolves, right? Jefferson yep. and Madison, or Mason, one of those two. Uh, Madison, yeah, Jefferson Madison. and Madison. Right. So they wrote those resolves to try to restrict the growth of the federal government within our bounds. They started immediately trying to do all that stuff. Yeah. So we're actually occupied territory legally, I would say. <laughs> That's why they have the all these federal agencies. Mm-hmm. You know, the FBI and the IRS and EPA. That's not lawful in a peacetime government. Right on. Right, and that's that's why I have devoted uh, you know an hour every week to this very topic because I believe we need to curtail, we need to to chop back the size and reach of that general government, and uh, but but we first have to educate ourselves to the fact that the states are sovereign, and that it's our duty. The states have a duty to to curtail the overreach of the general government. Yeah, it's kind of upside down now, isn't it? Very much no, upside down. <laughs> Real bad. I don't yeah. know. People don't understand it one iota. Nah. Of how well, appreciate- it's supposed to be from the family to the government, not the government to the family. Right. So. Yeah, you're spot on, Scott. I appreciate your uh, your phone call today. And uh, you're joining me here on the path to state and local sovereignty. Thank you. Yeah, well, we need a peacetime government. We've been in wartime for centuries. Century anyway, yeah. right? Yeah, yep. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. All right. Bye. We'll check in later. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Um, appreciate that. Uh, the callers, uh, they add to the richness of our, of our show today. Um and I appreciate Scott especially because he steered the conversation back to our topic today, which is this, um, you know, federalism. And this idea, the, the correct idea is that the states are sovereign and that the general government is subordinate to the states. That is the correct understanding of our confederated republic. 
Um, and, you know, Michael Bolden talks about this in his article posted on 10thamendmentcenter.com um, a few months ago, uh, I, where is when I found the article. And he he talked about this, what, you know, this unlimited federal supremacy, um, right? I mean, he says, sure, we can point to distorted views of the supremacy clause, claiming federal law is always supreme over conflicting state laws rather than only when in pursuance of the Constitution. That certainly is a big problem. But what we're, what we're talking about here goes much deeper, he writes. The prevailing view is that when people think the federal government has violated the Constitution, they ask the federal government if the federal government thinks the federal government violated the Constitution and generally abide by whatever the federal government decides. <laughs> That's insane, folks. He continues here. He writes, this isn't much different than what the revolutionaries fought a long bloody war against the British to get away from. Unlimited, centralized power in all cases whatsoever. <laughs> in December of 1776, Thomas Paine wrote The Crisis, which started out with the famous line, these are the times that try men's souls. But he went on to describe what they were fighting against. Unlimited power. Britain, with an army to enforce her tyranny, has declared that she has a right not only to tax, but to bind us in all cases whatsoever. And if bound in that manner is not slavery, then is there not such a thing as slavery upon earth? Even the expression is impious, for so unlimited a power can belong only to God. <laughs> End of quote. Great, great writing, Thomas Paine, one, a very persuasive writer. Um, and so, you know, this is in this article by Michael Bolden. He's, he's talking about this, and, and he makes the point. Let me just underscore his point. He says, you don't go ask the, the federal government if they have the authority to do what they're doing. <laughs> They'll, they'll answer you, yes, I, we do, every single time. They'll answer yes. So you don't go to the federal government to answer that question. You go to the state governments to answer that question. The state government can answer it for the federal government, right? Because the states are the ones with the sovereignty. We are the, we are the ultimate sovereigns in this picture here. And so um, um, here's another thing that Thomas Jefferson uh, wrote into the Kentucky Resolution of 1798 that we mentioned earlier. He said this, quote, The government created by this compact, meaning the Constitution, was not made the exclusive or final judge of the extent of the powers delegated to itself. Since that would have made its discretion and not the Constitution the measure of its powers. <coughs> So just paraphrasing that, he's saying basically um, the general government that was created by the U.S. Constitution was not made the final or exclusive judge of the extent of its own powers because that would have made it, not the Constitution, the measure of its powers, right? So you have to go to the Constitution. That is the measure of its power. If it's not written into the Constitution, they don't have the power. Very simple. And so that, 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 that's why it's so important to understand the Constitution, to understand its foundation, which is the Tenth Amendment. That is the very foundation 
of the U.S. Constitution, if we don't understand that underlying foundational principle, then we do not understand the Constitution. And folks, if we don't understand the Constitution, how in the world can we hold our public servants accountable to it? Right? They're run amok because we don't hold them to the Constitution. We don't hold them accountable. So to hold them accountable, we have to understand the Constitution ourselves. And then at every opportunity, at town hall meetings, uh, or, or and when they're out campaigning for your vote, you know, every opportunity you have, you need to you need to hold them accountable and point out where they are not adhering to the Constitution. Because 99% of the time, they're not. <laughs> you look at any act, any congressional act or statute that, that, that the Congress passes nowadays, not constitutional. You look at the judicial opinions that are rendered, not constitutional. Although in the past year, we have had a couple that they've gotten right, even though maybe their underlying reasons or justification for, for their opinion uh, is 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 not right. They have got the, the the bottom line result right. So that's encouraging. I would really like to see the uh, U.S. Supreme Court um, render an opinion um, against the incorporation doctrine, which we can talk about another time, I guess. But you know, it seems like this particular court is is on the right direction. They're heading the right direction. And they just need to get their justification uh, clear and, and correct. Um, okay, so we've only got about five minutes left in the program. <clears throat> and um, what I'd like to do is um, uh, just talk about a, a judicial opinion that I wish we would have stood up against. <clears throat> Um, this is a Utah constitutional provision. So the, uh, basically the electorate of Utah about 15 years ago, um, about 18 years ago, they, they added a provision to their constitution. I, I, I don't need to go into the details of what that provision is, uh, but just suffice it to say that the people of Utah, by, by a two-to-one majority, uh, added a provision to its to to our constitution. I live in Utah, have done for the past uh, three or four decades, and so that's I'm I'm speaking authoritatively about this. Then, in December of 2013, there was a federal judge named Robert Shelby, who ruled that that provision of our constitution was unconstitutional. Can you can you imagine such a thing? <laughs> that a provision of our constitution is is unconstitutional well that's what he that's what that was his opinion and he rendered that opinion in december of 2013 and what what i wanted to happen was for us to ignore his opinion but instead of that our attorney general said we have to we have to heed his opinion we have to follow his opinion and and our governor at the time 2013 our governor uh, Gary Herbert at the time said the very same thing we have to adhere to his opinion we have to follow his opinion and and that's that's totally wrong folks that was so wrong 
of of our, of our uh, elected officials, our public servants here in Utah, um, for them to acquiesce and to go along with the opinion of one man, of one justice, who basically overturned the the will of of the sovereigns in the state of Utah. Now, how many people voted for that that constitutional provision? in 2005, five, six or seven, somewhere in there. Um, I don't know, but at a typical, you know, we have three million people in the state of Utah. About um, six or 700,000 of them voted. And and uh, just to make the math simple, we'll say 900,000 voted. And so two-thirds of those voted for this provision, so 600,000. And we can round back down now, so we have the numbers in in our hands so he basically one man overruled the the will of half a million sovereigns in the state of utah now you tell me how that is right right how is that moral how is that makes no sense well that's the music signaling the end of our show today and i thank you for being with us here on the Republic Broadcasting Network and uh, listening to me carry on about the importance of federalism. And uh, and, and again, I, I appreciate your being with us today. But with that, we will end our show this afternoon. And I encourage you to come back next week, same time, same hour. John will be back with us for another show here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs. For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. 
free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. This is RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network. <laughs> 